<laughs> Sounds like you're uh, in an active place. Yeah, I am. This is interesting. I'm tr- I'll try to figure this out. Give me a second. Apologies on getting this spun up. We had uh, our hackathon workshop that was going a little late. I'm going to take a few minutes and, and spread this link around um, just so we can uh, make sure people know about this. So give me a few minutes while I'm, I'm doing this. I can hear you. There we go. Now it's going through the headphones. Hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, that would be a... Uh, I mean, it's one thing for, like, you know, as you're speaking to hear a little bit of background noise, but if you can't hear it, it's just, like, you're hoping that your speakerphone uh, catches all of that, or, like, your speakerphone is loud enough that you can hear it, it's uh, it's going to be rough. Yeah, the, the harder part is not the mic. It's, like, if I can't hear you, then that's when, it's, that's when it gets bad. Yep. I think we're going to we're going to have some really good conversation today. Um seen a lot of stuff. I just seeing Rarma's recent post just gave me so many ideas of like oh man, people really yep. People are really uh discounting a lot of these unpriced externalities that uh you know that 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 are effectively risks uh that haven't manifested yet. So uh, yep. I'm really interested to, to kind of chat about this. I, I would say like USDC native should never be silk collateral. It should be traded on shade swap. I think that makes plenty of sense. But yeah, I, I think as USDC becomes more cemented into the Cosmos ecosystem, it's like a really big opportunity for silk to stand out. And I'm actually like super happy that he mentioned USK and privacy stable coins i'm not sure why he didn't say silk but as a whole there's definitely a big opportunity here for for us to stand out yeah i don't know maybe maybe he uh wanted to also include uh zsd in there and he didn't want to catch any (laughs) he didn't want to have to deal with the zef maxis or the the anti-zef maxis uh not too yeah but then he had to deal but then he had to deal with the shade maxis that's the problem (laughs) (laughs) we're a little bit more uh uh, understanding, or may, maybe we're a little bit more um, uh, nice about our delivery, so to speak. I, I feel like I feel like even our roasts are like super polite. Like even even the other day, like when Rose was talking about their encrypted, like first ever privacy integrated decks, the the hardest the hardest roast I could come up with was be careful with claiming first that was about as <laughs> the harshest thing i could come up with we're just we're just so nice here on the shade team yeah i mean you never know i the way i think about it is like you never know 
what that person values most, right? And so like, you know, we kind of took this approach with Luna and Adam and, you know, this kind of makes me think back to the airdrop. You know, it's like we, you know, gleaned a lot of things from all of these different communities. And while we may technically be uh, competitors, uh, competitors in the sense that like we're vying for the similar user bases, there still stands to be reason that like people are turned off by, uh, I guess, like overly aggressive competition. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think we do a pretty good job towing the line, to be honest. Agreed, agreed. I, I like to consider us the Switzerland of Cosmos. I like, I want us to be neutral within Cosmos, but then outside of Cosmos, I think we should be a lot more aggressive is kind of like my gut instinct. Yeah, I think that that's honestly a pretty good approach because the people who know our project most intimately are definitely Cosmos native users. So like being a bit more mm, objective with some of our critiques of other uh, other protocols outside the cosmos. Um, the downside is, is relatively minimal. And now that I'm the, the CEO of cosmos, you know, I have to take that into consideration. <laughs> oh man. What a, what a change in narrative just from the shadows. Fittingly you, you, uh, rise up as the CEO. I mean, it's it's been hilarious. Now I'm getting tagged in threads with like Zucky and Sunny, and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> it's been fun. Yeah, dude, that's what happens when you. Uh, that's what happens when you go on the forums. You never know who's gonna. You never know who's gonna quote tweet and uh, take screenshots. Just a probably a good heads up for anyone who's posting anything publicly. Assume that someone is gonna share screenshot keep the receipts of whatever it is that you're uh posting so you know in general act like you're saying this out in public whatever you're saying online i, I think the timing was hilarious because there was a the little pump from the inflation proposal passing and you know whoever works at token terminal just went to the cosmos forums and it was like why did the price pump and then they found the thread and we're like aha it must be this this must be the roadmap and it's just like oh my gosh this is too funny all right, so got given this a few minutes to let people roll in. I've shared this. Uh, actually, let me let me post this in our Discord real quick, um, and then we'll get this thing kicked off. Oh, nice! Morocco already beat me to it. Hell yeah, nice. Appreciate it as always, sir. All right, so we'll kick this off. I'm sure people are going to be rolling in um, throughout this space, and it'll be recorded, so anyone who wants to listen to this afterwards uh, can. Welcome everyone who's here. Uh, oh, we get another one. Let me bring Sean up. Perfect timing, sir. Perfect timing. Uh, yeah, we're about to about to kick this off, Sean. Welcome to the chat. Just talking shit a little bit beforehand, so you got to absolve yourself of all the <laughs> all the stuff Carter and I are stirring up here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So today, um, want to provide some. Uh, updates for things we've got going on uh, Shade Protocol. We've got a few events going on, a um, few notable uh, milestones and achievements achieved this past week. 
got some really cool upcoming launches uh, that we want to touch on. And then I, I kind of want to take most of today or most of this Twitter space to kind of talk about Silk um, and some of the unpriced externalities that Silk helps provide additional protection against relative to uh, some of the incumbent stablecoin protocols uh, that exist both in the Cosmos and um, in other major ecosystems like Ethereum. So um, again, want to welcome everyone here. Just want to, Carter, if you guys are cool with it, I just want to give some quick updates on the hackathon, um, some quick updates on uh, the grants, and then go into uh, new pools that we'll be launching, new connections we'll be launching, and then uh, we'll round the rest of the conversation off uh, talking about Silk. You cool with that? Sounds like a plan to me. Cool, cool. All right, so uh, like I mentioned, uh, first thing I want to highlight is our ongoing Perpetual Swap Hackathon. This is a hackathon that is sponsored both by Shade Protocol and Secret Labs. Um, we are... This hackathon is purely focused on building a proof of concept for a private perpetual swap exchange. So basically an exchange that allows users to take high leverage positions long and short um, while preserving the privacy of their positions. Um, there has never been a privacy preserving perpetual swap, perpetual swap exchange that's been created. And so we are setting out with the help of Secret Labs um, Shade Protocol community, Cosmosm uh, community within uh, the Cosmos ecosystem and the Secret Network developer community uh, setting out to build the world's first private perpetual swap exchange. And we're a little less than halfway through. Uh, we've just concluded right before we started this space, we just concluded our fourth hackathon workshop. It was really, really great. It was presented by Secret Saturn. Um, the dev relations role at Secret Network Foundation. He's also a validator, um, builder, maintainer of uh, Secret Dashboard. Um, it was really, really awesome talking about some advanced Secret Wasm development um, concepts. Uh, earlier this week on Monday, we talked about some of the mathematical modeling that's required for perpetual swap exchanges. Um, and just for anyone who's interested in learning more, you don't necessarily have to be participating in the hackathon. All of these workshops are uploaded to YouTube, so it's free education for any uh, newer existing developers or anyone who kind of just wants to scratch the itch of their curiosity about some of these concepts. So if you're interested in learning more about some of these concepts, listening into the workshops, uh, check out Shade Protocol on YouTube. We have a playlist specifically for our hackathon workshops, um, and all those are uploaded there. And it, it's got all the relevant links to all the GitHub resources, to any additional resources. Um, that you might need. So I uh, just wanted to highlight that we've seen some great, uh, seen some great participation uh, thus far. I think, I, I don't want to say with, with too much certainty, but I believe we have at least four or five uh, like solid teams that are working on building this right now. Some of them are existing protocols within the cosmos that are looking to um, cross deploy some of their um potentially cross-deploy some of their contracts. So this is a, got a really interesting um, value proposition put up by the hackathon, both from a compensation perspective and the ability to create the world's first um, high leverage product that preserves privacy. So it's a really interesting opportunity that we're excited to be co-sponsoring with Secret Labs. Um, outside of that, shift to 
some, some of the upcoming pools and uh, chain connections that we'll be supporting later this week. And I think tomorrow is actually our, our um, goal for this. And I think we're, I think we're good to go on everything on, on our side to actually launch this. But um, we're finally going to be launching support for dot assets uh, within private DeFi. So specifically, we're going to be able to support dot that's bridged over um, from Picasso, the uh, Picasso chain and the dot summit ecosystem, um, as well as Pika. So dot and Pika pools are both going to be available on shade swap, um, ideally tomorrow, barring any, you know, last minute changes to compatibility or, or, you know, something kind of outside of our hands or outside of our uh, sphere of influence that would prevent us from doing this. Uh, we're looking at launching a silk dot pool, and then we're going to be looking to launch a shade Pika pool as well. And so for this pool connection, we're going to be adding support for bridging uh, to and from Composable, which is the, the chain on the Cosmos ecosystem side that connects uh, to Picasso, which is the chain on the Dotsama side. Um, so Composable, um, their chain, apparently they're, they're going through a, a slight rebranding right now. So I think it was referred to as Centauri, or at least that's what the chain ID is called, but um, be Bridging to and from Composable uh, into Secret Network. Um, for anyone who's looking to bridge Pika or Dot um, that was bridged via uh, from Picasso around the Cosmos ecosystem, it'll be just like any other IBC asset. Um, so an example would be like if you're trying to bridge Pika from Osmosis to Secret Network, you'll have to bridge from Osmosis to Composable Chain and then from that Composable Chain over to um over to Secret Network. So we'll be adding that connection. I know that uh, connection is already supported by uh, Secret Dashboard, which is awesome. Love what those guys are doing and helping provide some redundant access to all these different chains and services um, that we need to be able to support uh, these assets on ShadeSwap. Um, and just uh, for a little bit of clarification, um, we could have supported this connection and these assets um, earlier, but one of the factors, one of our limiting factors was the ability to allow users um, utilizing Ledger hardware wallets to actually send these uh, bridged assets around the Cosmos or back and forth from the .sama ecosystem to Cosmos. Um, this previously wasn't supported. And uh, up until recently, I think um, this past week, they, they finally were able to perform the network upgrade that I uh, allowed this sort of compatibility, this uh, amino signing required for ledger use. And so we're really, really excited. This is something we've been anticipating uh, for quite some time on our side. I know this is something that Composable team has been uh, quite excited about. Um, they're big supporters of what we're doing uh, with private DeFi. And so we're really excited to um, support this and, you know, if everything goes well and, you know, the, the, the adoption and utilization of these assets within the cosmos, um, and, well, within private DeFi and by extension, uh, the cosmos ecosystem, you know, as that adoption continues to scale, um, we're excited to see where else we can integrate these assets within our product suite. So it's something that uh, a multi-tier or stepwise uh, integration that we're highly looking forward to. Um, yeah. And, 
we don't really have too much, too, too many concrete updates uh, to give as far as like um, POL matching or POL swaps. We've got a bunch of things moving around in the background. Um, quite, quite a lot of things moving around in the background for this. So BD is quite alive and well uh, with Shade Protocol. And we actually are having really, really great communication and received great reception for these ideas with all these protocols we're looking to, to build this sort of liquidity with. Um, so we'll save those updates for another week once we get um, some of these things moving and concluded on chain. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we can shift to the main part of our topic, thing I'm personally most excited about, the thing I know Sean is most excited about, and uh, Carter, I assume we're ready to talk a little bit about Silk here. Yeah, let's do it. So ju- just as a preference, if anyone hasn't been watching Silk, uh, the, the Silk page or, or, sorry, let me start over. If you're not watching Silk's pegs, Silk's pegs growth on the shade applications, maybe you're looking at Silk on CoinGecko or you're looking at Silk on another one of these um, portfolio tracker tools. Uh, you you might have missed that Silk has been hitting consistent peg all-time highs. So the, the price of the Silk peg continually um, appreciating, I think, the highest. I haven't actually checked it today, so we could have seen another um, push for uh, all-time highs. But as of yesterday, it reached an all-time high of uh, $1.76. 1.076. All right, yeah. So we're at 1.075. So a little bit uh, below the, the all-time high. But this has been a really interesting phenomenon to watch over the past month as we've seen euro appreciate really well against the US dollar. We've seen gold and Bitcoin both continue to perform really well over the past month. And as a result, um, these peg, um, you know, the, the contribution of these components to the peg price uh, we've seen a really nice appreciation in, in Silk's purchasing power relative to the U.S. dollar. And so this is something, I mean, there, there's a whole lot we can talk about there. It's just like why we designed the peg uh, composition the way we did. And this is, you know, what we're seeing in the markets is sort of a confirmation of what we expected to see play out. Um, I was actually just revisiting some of our back testing data and, Holy crap, we did. There, there was so much analysis that went into it. It's been you know, only six months since I really did a deep dive into it. But uh, just revisiting it makes me forces me to remember how much time and effort we put, uh, put into the forethought um, uh, of Silk's peg composition and, and how we can change this over time. So I guess I'll, I'll start this off with just saying, like, when you guys see Silk peg, continually hitting these all-time highs over the past month like what are the first things that come to your mind yeah i remember some of the first conversations like two years ago about about silk there was the the debate of do we want silk to be some type of a like an index fund a hedge fund like where we just see number go up like big time and of course that that then drifts out of the lane out of the the goal for what a true stable coin is, but, but what you're describing and what we've seen in this like price appreciation is a, a, a perfectly calibrated amount of volatility in there with, with a bit of BTC and gold that's in there to, yeah, to like hold its own 
and then even gain an edge on these currencies that that we're seeing it uh, bump ahead of. So it's a beautiful sight. It's a beautiful sight to see for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, the goal of Silk is really to capture structural shifts in the macro economy um, in a way that's diversified, right? Because if you're if you're just holding the U.S. dollar, you're exposed to all of that that sovereign currency risk. And if you're just holding the euro, you're exposed to that risk and Bitcoin, that risk, gold, that risk. But I think Silk is proving in real time that we've found something that's incredibly balanced. No one's built something like this before. And to your point, Merrick, like we have to find the balance between price appreciation and, and, and volatility. Um, if silk appreciates in value too quickly in relation to the dollar, then you're putting a lot of stress on those um, lend positions because the value of the debt is, is appreciating in value, right? And we were super cognizant of this back in the day. Vitalik had a great blog post that kind of talked about the problems with like a flat coin that is tracking inflation is it's it's appreciating it's it's appreciating at such a fast rate that you somehow have to offset that opportunity cost for those vault holders and so i I actually don't think inflation tracking flat coins are actually going to be successful because there is too much volatility and there is too much price appreciation risk which is why i think silk has struck a super strong middle ground right out of the gates and we did that by starting with first principles, understanding um, the advantages and disadvantages of, is this an inflation hedge? Is this volatility minimization? And I think we've found found something that's really struck a nice balance. Yeah, I'm looking back at um, the original forum post where we were effectively voting on like what what sort of peg composition that we had wanted to after um, doing a lot of analysis on back testing, and there were three, effectively three options: one that focused on purchasing power retention, one that focused on high fiat diversification, and then one that focused on low volatility versus USD. Um, and community voted, and we uh, voted for the purchasing power retention. We wanted to focus on purchasing power retention. So this, um, relative to the other options, this had um, higher upside gain just like very, very incrementally uh, higher max drawdown. We're talking like 0.2% higher max drawdown than any of the other options. Um, And with slightly higher expected annual volatility relative to the USD. And again, we're talking about fractions of a percent here. Um, But the percent upside gain uh, was about 30% higher than the next uh, highest option. And so uh, just to reiterate what you were talking about, Carter, with like, silk and um and you know its ability to preserve purchasing power i think what you said about like we don't necessarily want to outpace inflation because well for two reasons one you can outpace inflation by attributing higher weighting to some of the commodity components of the peg so like if we really wanted silk to appreciate in value, we could make, you know, BTC and gold 75% of the peg composition and then 25% would be the fiat diversification. Um, and then you'd get a lot more volatility with silk's peg. You would, um, you know, consequently with recent market performance, you would get a lot more appreciation in silk's value. However, 
what you said about, you know, we want to be cognizant of the effects that this has on loans that people have for silk, right? If the value of the loan that you took out continually goes up, that's going to cause your LTV to continually go up as well. And this, this introduces a, um, a, a potential problem for users where they're having to constantly manage their, their loan health more so than they would, you know, if Silk was less of a speculative, speculative asset and more of a slowly appreciating, um, appreciating peg price. And so I know, I know we had this conversation with a bunch of people in the community before it's like, well, we all like, if we want Silk to potentially outpace inflation of all these in currencies, that means we need the price to appreciate more than, um, you know, the increase in inflation. And if you you know, kind of map this out over long periods of time, you could, it's quite easy to see how some of these longer term uh, borrowers could be in positions where, um, you know, they end up having some of those positions liquidated. Um, so it's a really interesting thought experiment because, you know, the, the thought would be, well, if we're preserving purchasing power, we might want to, uh, you know, have that peg price appreciate more than, um you know, the change in purchasing power of the USD. But there are a lot of potential conflicts that this introduces. So I think that was a really great point you, point, uh, you brought up. Yeah, and at, at a certain point, if you're just going to allow volatile assets to dominate the peg composition, then just go buy those assets, right? <laughs> like, um, yep, it, yep, that's why I think, I think the, the balance that's in there right now is, um, you know, but, it's a balance. It's great. I mean, I have always had this idea since Silk was born, um, but I'm still not sure how crazy it is or how many people believe it. But of course, there are people who would say, don't bother with a stable, don't bother with something like Silk, just just go buy Bitcoin because Bitcoin's money. But one of the things that I've written a lot about and thought a lot about uh, trying to to you know, shake loose in people is if if you're trusting in a volatile asset like Bitcoin or even Ethereum to be the money that the world uses for daily transactability, then that is absolute chaos. And I don't think people like actually process how much chaos that is when you're talking about trying to process international trades between countries in you know, while the price of, of Bitcoin is shifting every day, like when you're trying to shop in the grocery store and things are priced in Bitcoin and the price tags have to keep changing every five minutes like that, whatever kind of moneyness Bitcoin has, it's not that. And so thus the need for stable coins. But when we talk about stable coins, we're either talking about something that... <laughs> It's a strong analogy. I feel bad saying it, but like if we're pegging to USD, it's kind of like dropping a, a ball and chain, like tying ourselves to a ball and chain and jumping in the ocean. <laughs> there's, however you want to say it, there's like a bit of devaluation that is inherent within the system. There's risk in that system. But with something like Silk, you throw a little BTC, you throw a little gold in the mix, and there's a chance to, to beat some of that out. You know, not trying to be Bitcoin, um, but we're trying to have a type of moneyness that is stable enough for that daily transactability with the privacy to boot. So I am still not sure 
how crazy I am for thinking and believing that it feels like most people don't, don't think the same way. What do you, what do you guys think though? Like how wild is that idea for the contemporary user? Well, I think there's different types of users that have different understandings of liquidity, like the structural reality of liquidity points to the fact that Bitcoin is not used in everyday transactions because of its it's really like two components one is one is volatility two is like the actual integrations themselves so the beautiful thing is that as bitcoin matures and as that liquidity profile deepens and as an asset class it becomes stronger and stronger it will take on less volatility that is like just the the natural evolution of, of markets, the, the consensus around it becomes more mature and more consistent. Um, and at that point, Silk can grow the weight tied to Bitcoin. And so like the original dream for Silk was like, all right, like let's look at GDP at large and we're going to map the weightings onto that GDP. And, and so like as these economies grow or shrink, then Silk is going to modify its weights accordingly. And I think that thought process still stands true today. Silk's basket is not a one and done thing. I I think there should be a reweighting once every like three to five years, Uh, arguably like five years. Even three years is very quick when we're looking at the macro economy. We we need large data sets that point to the fact that it's time to grow or shrink um, Silk's basket weighting. But I think if if we do it right, Silk is... Silk's goal is to map the structural reality of liquidity in the world today um, with with a small speculative twist that that we we are more bullish on commodities and and the reality of hard money than governments are. I think that's like the really unique twist on on Silk's thesis. Yeah, and we're just we're just talking about the risk of like loss of purchasing power here. We're not even talking about the risk of regulatory mon- monetary policy uh, changing or, or changing macroeconomic uh, environment. Like what happens if the U.S. dollar loses its, U- loses its global hegemony? Then what? You know, we've, you've got markets across the world where USD – uh, denominated stable coins trade at a premium because U.S. dollars is valuable relative to local uh, sovereign currencies. Well, what happens if the U.S. dollar starts performing, you know, negatively at, or let's say on par with some of these uh, uh, developing currencies from developing countries or just countries who have really bad uh, policy management? You know, like what happens then? You know, it as a user we we or as a user you have the ability to freely sell trade do whatever with your with your tokens um so for users you know the the switch hopefully would be quick and and painless however you know i i was having this conversation with uh with tricks from uh from membrane we were talking about like the ability for stablecoin protocols to change the composition of their peg. And there's like some stable coins who, while they may be pegged to a single sovereign currency, they have the ability to change that peg depending on how the protocol is, um, you know, how things are coded. But there are some protocols like 
protocols that utilize PSMs, you're you're effectively stuck with this asset you pegged your stablecoin to, and that those are the ones that I I guess am more worried for because one of the things we've said for the longest time is like to be able to predict what is going to happen in three or five years is folly. Um, and trying to do so is going to be somewhat of a waste of time and energy. But one of the best things we can do to prepare ourselves is make sure that we can adjust it and, um, and pivot as needed when these, um, you know, these, these pressing variables, whether it be monetary, monetary policy risk, changing macro environment, um, you know, blacklisting from other, uh, from other stablecoin providers, um, the ability to be reflexive in the face of changing conditions is so, so powerful. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I value most about. So probably first would be privacy. The second would be, at least for me, uh, would be that reflexivity. But, um, I don't know. Do you, are you guys interested in like going down this, uh, you know, somewhat precarious rabbit hole of talking about changing regulatory environments? I'm always, always happy to talk about that. Um, the, the only other, oh, what was I going to say? I was going to make one more comment on, oh, I was going to say that like the interesting thing about Silk too is like as the data set grows, like the longer Silk exists, the more proof there is that the system works, right? Because let's say we see like one to two cents worth of price appreciation. We don't know if that's going to walk back one year from now, right? Like Silk could easily go back to a dollar and five cents easily. But Silk's thesis is really verified like three years from now when we see like, oh, wow, like there was over the course of three years, it captured the structural appreciation towards hard assets while still having volatility minimization. So TLDR, time is definitely on our side. Um, And every day that ticks by is more and more proof that Silk is something brilliant and something very, very special. Yep, completely agree. All right, let's go down this rabbit hole together then. Uh, and Rarma did a great job kicking this off today. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen, um, his recent post about, uh, we'll just call it the impending risks of centralized stable coins, whether that be existing ones, whether it be central bank digital currencies, um, the, the risk of those two types of uh, stable coins are very, very similar, um, and so, Carter, I don't know if you want to do like a quick summation of what the, the risk is from a regulatory perspective uh, for these stable coins that are pegged to a single sovereign currency. And really, most of them are pegged to the USD. So I guess we can just talk about like stable coins that are pegged to the USD uh, right now. Yeah, I think there's two rabbit holes we can go down. We can, we, can, we can do a regulatory rundown. I also think we should talk about the risks of native USDC within the Cosmos ecosystem. I think that's like... Honestly, no one wants to talk about it, and a lot of the powers that be in Cosmos are celebrating native USDC as a massive win. But I think it's only it's only fair that we would, as privacy and sovereign sovereignty advocates, we should slow down, put on our pessimistic glasses, and say, "What's the worst case scenario here? What's what's the risk to shape protocol, to privacy, and to decentralization in Cosmos if we just 
willingly push USDC natively, blindly, without an understanding of what those worst case scenarios could be. And and some people will call us doomers for doing that. I would call it wisdom. So um, I'll pause here because Merrick, maybe you want to kick us off on like the regulatory front. I feel like you have a pretty good understanding. We've had some great conversations there. So we'll, we'll start there and then circle back to native USDC issuance. Yeah, I mean, anytime I poke my head into regulation and, and watch video or read stuff around it, I, ha- I run out of the room screaming shortly after. Like, it's, it's a hard place to, to live trying to stay up to date uh, on it. But, you know, we've e- even the recent blog that went out this week um, does touch a bit on collateralization as it's related to potential legislation moving through uh, the, you know, here, here in the U.S. And people are talking about it. Like, and so I'm flabbergasted when I see a new stablecoin really hyped, collateralized by a t- exclusively by a token that is minted by the same entity. When uh, the House stablecoin bill and and so many other um, drafted legislations, like in, in process, being discussed for over a year now, um, say that that's the number one thing they're coming after. So it's like you got it. You got to have your head up to a degree, be paying attention and adaptability like like we just talked about is really the number one characteristic that you could have for a stable coin in an environment where you're not sure what it's going to look like tomorrow. That's an enormously underrated part of what Silk has going for it that uh, few others do, to your point. <laughs> And the other th- can, can we call USD stable coin, USD peg stable coins what they are? And they're just USD derivatives. I mean, that's there are they are abstracted extensions of the United States Federal Reserve. It's a very pretty way to say that, Carter. <laughs> <laughs> but no, now let's talk about that, though, right? Because. That is why there's a regulatory risk for these decentralized stablecoins pegged to the dollar. The, the United States does not like when people issue something that is a derivative of what they have control over. It's it's incredibly the uh, imagine a world where there's let's say a hundred billion in decentralized dollar stablecoins. Um, imagine you know let's say two hundred thousand United States citizens hold these dollars. Um, let's assume they've transitioned over a large amount of their savings into this decentralized finance ecosystem. And then imagine there's some sort of insolvency event tied to these U.S. dollar stablecoins. And these retail users um, have held these dollar stablecoins under the impression that they have the strength of the dollar backing them. And then you can have this huge contagion effect where there's run on banks tied to the centralized systems because something in the world of decentralized finance broke. So that is the um, hawkish counter case to dollar decentralized stablecoins. That is the excuse they're going to use to go after and overregulate dollar stablecoins. How, how dare you use the U.S. brand? This could create massive contagion for centralized systems. Um, and this is this is ultimately why, you know, 
I think they're coming for dollar stable coins. I, I would predict in 2024 and 2025, we see legislation that says if you're an issuer of anything that is pegged to the dollar or claims to be a derivative of the dollar, you have to come in and file something or else we're going to ban you very simply. Oh, and by the way, it's illegal for U.S. citizens to hold any derivative of the dollar that doesn't have a registered issuer. It's just does that not sound just incredibly plausible? Like, I, I don't view that as doomerism. I, I view that as like very, very inevitable. Now, in the United States, there are regulators that understand that decentralized dollar stable coins are an incredibly powerful proxy by which the power of the dollar can be spread into censored regions. I mean, for the first time ever, dollars can be spread into countries that are maybe anti-dollar. Like, you could technically have a decentralized stablecoin work in North Korea. You can have it work in something like China, right? Uh, maybe these are controversial things to say, but that, that's a huge opportunity for the United States to spread its economic influence. So there I are to say, some of the highest premiums placed on U.S. dollar stablecoins are in the Middle East uh, right now, where it's very hard to get access to USD. So... For sure. So there's there's a there's a counterforce in Capitol Hill that understands that dollar decentralized stable coins are a can become a proxy for United States economic influence. But are they going to win out over how shall I say this? The large amount of incentives within the centralized banks to not have decentralized stable coins be in control of that economic movement. They they want to do it through the centralized banking system. They want to be able to flip switches on and off. They want to be able to freeze transactions. They want to be able to move your money um, with or without your consent within certain scenarios. So um, I guess my TLDR is before I get someone, before I hand it off to Merrick or, or Red to, to react to what I just said is, I think the legislation is coming. I think any dollar decentralized stable coin is taking on a huge amount of risk that's not yet fully realized. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I guess to build on those thoughts, just as, as an extension, I think about the likelihood of the United States pushing a CBDC, which at least in my read of the room right now is uh, up in there. You know, there's they've got Fed now, as as they say, the the train tracks that are kind of in place for that. If the CBDC were to be the train, but but the big big picture with that, if the United States decided said uh, yeah, we're all in, we're doing CBDC, that is an absolute uh, death sentence for dollar peg stable coins, for all of the reasons that you just said, and now all of these dollar derivatives are competition against a digital assets that's being issued from central banks. And so we there, of course, the, the, the propaganda around it is fast track chat transactions. Let's bank the unbanked, um, you know, instant settlement, blah, 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 all of these benefits, right? All of these benefits that stable coins are already doing <laughs> all of these benefits that are already active in blockchain. And so if the U S did push, CBDC through, you know, those Fed now rails, that is basically the ultimate middle finger to <laughs> anyone who's who's got a dollar pegged stable coin. And this is why Silk is very well positioned because 
you you can't you can't shut down silk on the basis of it being a dollar derivative because it's not a dollar derivative uh, it's a very strange asset it's it's fluidly capable of looking much more like a commodity it's fluidly capable of removing any trace of the US dollar from its peg if need be and the best part is it's capable of doing this rapidly so we're it's it's such a resilient asset in the face of regulation it, it, the more we talk about it the more excited i get about it I, I think it's it's we're playing such a multi-decade strategy here for silk and i and I, I'm, I'm very excited for it to pay off now to pivot over to native usdc issuance um some people would say that usdc is the cbdc of the future what do you guys think about that like oh man I think they're probably best poised from like a regulatory preparation standpoint to, to be poised to like hit those rails quicker than any other, uh, you know, may, maybe tether, but I feel like USDC has probably a better, uh, let's say like more positive relationship, uh, with federal reserve and, and, um, those who influence us monetary policy, um, but the idea of USDC being, you know, central digital bank or central bank digital currency uh, is quite frightening because this is effectively, you know, if that were to happen, you have onboarded a whole slew of unsuspecting users who, I mean, just like with any government program or any other, say, program where the maintainers want to know anything and everything about its user base, you're, you're kind of walking into a situation where users might be unsuspecting of the risks that they're taking on or, or the data that they're giving up and have given up uh, since, their, since the inception of their use of it. And then over from I was just going to say, I'm not sure that that thought had occurred to me before this conversation. I, I'm, my mind wants to run probabilistic analysis on like the odds of, of that happening. But if you were trying to make the medicine of a CBDC, like go down smoother, like maybe, maybe an existing asset like USDC that already has, you know, its, its structure and the name recognition and all that, maybe could that happen? Like I would say absolutely. Yes. Is it likely? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I think it's very probable because think about like the most regulated and compliant United States based crypto infrastructure. And it's it's Coinbase and Circle. I, I would say like largely those two entities, you know, Coinbase is a publicly traded company. They own fifty they have fifty percent equity in Circle. Um it, it, it feels like if you wanted a Trojan horse that has existing liquidity, if we're all being honest, the strongest brand, the most distribution among Americans, it would, it would be USDC. So uh, this is, I mean, I heard about this like maybe a year ago. I, I do think USDC is the CBDC of the future. I do think it's a Trojan horse. Um, do, is it an incredibly useful tool? Yes. Of course, it's a useful tool. Um, 
But isn't that the 21st century in a nutshell? We trade, we, we take convenience and we give up our freedoms in the process. Take my data, take my identity, take my sovereignty, take my votes, take my freedom. And in return, give me a little more convenience. Maybe, you know, have that slippage be a little bit less, have that transaction be a little bit faster. Um, but I, I think that's what you know, Silk has the unique opportunity to do. We have the opportunity as a community to refuse to capitulate and allow in the vice grip, the tentacles, the, the malevolent subtle forces at large and create a stable private asset that stands the test of time. We have that opportunity. We're, we're, we're well on the way to making that a reality. Um, and I think even within Cosmos, we have a chance to take like an ethical and risk preventative posture where we don't over push native USDC. We, we don't allow it into Silk's peg. We don't over push its liquidity on ShadeSwap. Um, will, this, will this hurt us? Yes, it will. It hurts your growth. There are many things in life that, that aren't accelerants to growth that are the right decision. If, if you're always optimizing for growth, then you're gonna give up a lot of your fundamentals in the process. So anyways, those are some of my thoughts. Yeah, this makes me think back to Operation Touch and Go. You know, like we recognize a lot of these risks associated with centralized stable coins. And, you know, one of the record, uh, one of the things we recognize is that being able to collateralize these centralized stable coins to borrow decentralized stable coins is a great way to, you know, encourage quick growth uh, in supply and market cap of your stablecoin. But it also comes with risks, you know, like if, let's say, centralized stablecoins made, made up over uh, 50% of the collateral backing for Silk and there was some sort of black swan event where uh, USDC, uh, I guess uh, they would have to somehow blacklist the Axelar blockchain. Um, but let's just assume in a scenario where USDC... Uh, is no longer allowed to be utilized in private DeFi or really any DeFi protocol that's not registered, right? And then there's some sort of a bank run for people to exit out of these positions that causes the price of uh, USDC to drop dramatically. And then you have an issue where um, you could potentially be slightly under collateralized. Um, and as we know, markets generally are, especially in this day and age, very, very quick to react uh, to changes in risk, especially when it comes to uh, DPEG scenarios like this. Um, and so you could end up in a scenario where Silk, as this decentralized stablecoin, is adversely affected um, potentially for a longer period of time than, you know, than we would, well, we don't want it to last any amount of time, but definitely longer than we would expect to. Um, you know, this could cause some adverse effects. And so initially from the, uh, from the outset, we said that we want to minimize this risk while we do want uh, to tap into some of the growth potential uh, for leveraging uh, centralized stable coins for borrowing against. Uh, we do want to minimize this potential contagion. And since the introduction of these uh, stable coin vaults, we've actually seen the, um, 
collateral backing and the, the amount of silk minted against these stable coins continue to drop. And I think currently we're less than, um, I think it's maybe 15 to 20% of uh, silk's collateral backing is uh, centralized stable coins down from, I think, closer to 40% initially, like whenever I uh, first benchmarked this, maybe a month after uh, silk was instantiated. So the progress on uh, Operation Touch and Go, and for anyone who wants to refer to this or go look back on it, I suggest you go to the Shade Protocol forums, forum.shadeprotocol.io, and you uh, you have a the, – the forum post is there, and you'll be able to see kind of what we laid out is what we'd like to do, how we want to minimize this risk, um, and then how we've uh, slowly updated that over time. Carter, we've got a – I see Mayor is requesting – uh, to hop up here. Are you cool if I bring him up? Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. Give me one second, Mayor. All right. What's going on, Mayor? Hey, hello. I'm um, just enjoying the conversation. And wh- while you guys were, were speaking, I um, I don't know. I, I was just wanted to throw in a couple comments. I know uh, I was thinking about this earlier today because someone had posted about how that it seems like cosmos is embracing usdc you know with open arms and i i actually looked up the official circle um standpoint as far as do they can they blacklist accounts and yes they can it's in their it's in their legal mumbo jumbo in their privacy policy or not in their privacy policy sorry in their legal policy but i was i was also just thinking um i mean this is a great conversation and I just really wonder you can see the slow the slow progress that like or not progress the slow methodical steps that they're taking to push USDC um and then eventually I think the the regulators are going to try to push out tether I mean I know a lot of the commentators were talking about that as far as this this Binance settlement you know if you see Coinbase decide that they're going to delist tether then you can see that's just another step towards the progression of what you guys are talking about. I didn't know if you guys had had been thinking about that, but if if you see Coinbase delist Tether or just say, you know, come out, you know, hey, you know, we're going to slowly phase out Tether on our exchange, you know, within a you know three month period, then then that just t- continues to tell me the direction they're going. Oh, I, I completely agree with you, and I think what's been interesting is since the USDC brief. DPEG, the market has really spoken that not only is it concerned about <laughs> potential solvency of USDC at times, but it also cares about those centralized risks. And so Tether has actually grown since that USDC DPEG, and USDC has actually shrunk. But the writing on the wall that I'm envisioning is with, with CCTC, with how seamless USDC is going to be able to move around <coughs> all the, the tier one blockchains like all the infrastructure rails are there and what happens next is you're going to see very large centralized player with a crap ton of liquidity start to come on chain and because we haven't even gotten started yet okay like we're talking 55 billion in stablecoin liquidity in all of crypto right now it's like that's nothing there's going to be trillions and so tether having the lead right now is absolutely meaningless i don't i don't think people understand like the scale and magnitude of what centralized finance brings and liquidity is like a drug right like you're, you're gonna have all of these decentralized finance protocols like ave and like all these other very established ethereum 
DeFi products that are going to be lining up to do whatever it takes to be the winner of that liquidity. And that's the Trojan horse. The, the addiction to liquidity and its utility is what wins the game. It's how the United States goes into other countries and establishes essentially sovereign debt. And it's, it's, how, it's, it's where their leverage comes from. So the question is, are there DeFi protocols that are going to be willing to take an ethical and long-term stance to be like, wait a second, what if we what if we actually make an intentional counterplay? What if what if we choose to not interact with that USDC kind of massive liquidity? What's going to happen is you're going to lose out on growth. What I would argue the reason crypto is valuable in the first place is largely because of the underlying censorship resistant and kind of interoperability plus permissionless nature that that is where the real value comes from that's where this all started and so sure being some form of a centralized decentralized hybrid liquidity world is it more capitally efficient than traditional finance sure but i would argue the bulk of international value when it comes to fx markets when it comes to decentralized finance comes from those key attributes so i think shade protocol we should take a very distinct stance before anyone else does because we see this coming and i think there will be a subset of large capital players and users that appreciate that yeah that is a surgical response i mean i almost got goosebumps when you said that liquidity is like a drug and that's exactly where my mind is going is that i think we Many, many of us have made the mistake of saying that if it's good for the growth of an ecosystem, it's good for me. Like if this is good for adoption, it's it's good for me. And the reality, like maturity wise of, of the crypto landscape right now, it's almost like we're we're a teenager and we're we're working on growing up, like getting close into adulthood. But there something like PayPal's stablecoin, where people are just so like hyped and pumped about that. And it's got like these horrific capacities as far as, you know, the, the limitations that can be placed on users from, uh, you know, freezing and, and blacklisting and all of these pieces. And it's like, to me, that's just junk food, like that we can we can fuel ourselves with that in our teenage growth and call it good. Like say, yay, I'm growing up, but like, there's a certain point at which, yeah, it is like an ethical conversation where, where you say, no, 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 not, not just what's best to make the fire grow, not just what's best for adoption, but what is actually the kind of money that we want to wake up with tomorrow? Like what's, what's the money of the future? What do we want it to look like? Do we want it to be, uh, rigidly transparent or do we want some kind of privacy do we want it to be exclusively tied to the dollar or do we want like some global inclusion that reflects like what wealth actually looks like on, on a global level and there's adaptability to that you know i'm i'm going on here but i do think that bifurcation that you made carter between what's good for growth and what's actually best for users at the end of the day that is the surgical question that we need to take a hard look at as as we come down from the high of the liquidity drug <laughs> like we have to get off the high first well and to be clear about the high like and the timing of this is perfect too right you have your two-year bear market people 
are looking for things to turn around. They're looking for that liquidity. And ultimately, what's going to drive the push of a central back digital currency within decentralized finance is greed, right? Call a spade a spade. The more liquidity, the more fees that are generated, the more volume that's generated. It's and, and that's that's why liquidity as a drug is because it drives profitability. Um, and so that's why the onus is on communities like Shade Protocol and other decentralized finance protocols to draw a line in the sand and say, our duty is not to maximize profits. That's that's centralized finance. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a, there's a good old adage that not all money is good money, you know? Right, ex- exactly. Not all money is good money. And I don't think the there are literally like a regular business its duty is to its shareholders and to maximize profit but i would argue like the reason web3 is beautiful is we we have an opportunity to redefine the structural goals of this kind of decentralized protocols and so i would say like shade protocols duty is not to its shareholders it's to the attributes it wishes to maintain which I think is a radical concept. I, I think like Shape Protocol's duty is to maintain the sovereignty, the permissionless nature and privacy of all applications that it builds. I would argue that's a mission statement. That's a mission statement that's so much more powerful and so much stronger and timeless than maximizing profitability for shareholders. Yeah, we didn't even Sean mentioned this and you mentioned it again, Carter, that this whole time we're talking about risk associated with centralized stable coins. We didn't even mention the fact that, I mean, it, it almost doesn't even need mentioned uh, to us, but uh, you know, all of these centralized stable coins are all public by default assets. So not only are they going to control what you can and can't do or have the ability to control what you can and can't do with uh, these stable coins, all the data of what you do with it is going to be available not only to um, the, the centralized issuers, but also to anybody who has access to your accounts. And so that that's a whole other rabbit hole that uh, is worth going on. And I feel like if we started this, we're going to be here for another hour. Uh, but <clears throat> just wanted to point out anyone who's listening, like we talking about all these different risks associated with centralized stable coins, specifically from a regulatory perspective kind of thinking about these uh, tail risks, we didn't even talk about the value of privacy here and and how that protects, um, you know, some of the interests of the the users of these stable coins. And that'll be something I think be worthwhile uh, going in depth um, in the future. But for now. Yeah, yeah, the only thing I say is I think greed is the root of compromise in the world of finance, in this world of Web3. So will we have the fortitude and the discipline to not fall prey to greed? The answer typically is no, right? But that's the thing when you're centralized, there's not as much accountability, right? If you, if you, have, if you have two people running something, then the ability to be greedy and to compromise on your values is quite easy. But the beauty of decentralization is we, we have this very distributed consensus and that allows and empowers and, and accountability across everyone. So we are all the watchers of each other. 
and that gives us the opportunity to not fall prey to greed if it's an ethical community with the right mission statement. Real quick, Carter, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I have a question. Do you think... Do you think eventually, let's let's say, you know, Circle does clamp down, they they kick Tether off of Coinbase, um, they get a lot of what they want, um, get cozy, they continue to stay cozy. When I say they, I'm talking about um, Coinbase mainly and Circle. Um, do you do you believe that the U.S. regulators would enter into a time period where they are comfortable with allowing DeFi to exist for a while, like some type of a, a compromise or, or would you think they'll just try to clamp down on it very, very fast? Any thoughts? Well, that's a great question. Um, the thing is the United States is very smart. Like I think there's kind of a meme yeah, it's Indeed. like we're we're playing on their turf. It's these these finance guys. They know. I mean, the BlackRock guys. I mean, this is their the Wall yep. Street guys. This is their territory, right? Hundred hundred percent. And so I think there's a little bit of like naivety within the crypto community about how powerful the counter forces are. Because you know we all have that cyberpunk attitude. So it's kind of like we feel like we're the smartest ones in the room. I actually think it's kind of the opposite. We're we're the under resourced underdog that's prideful about what we're capable of achieving in the face of adversity right i think that's actually probably the truth um but the one thing i think we have going for us is i think the centralized folks want to use decentralized finance as a tool to extend their influence i don't think they're viewing it if, if i was in the strategic room i don't think you look at DeFi and say like no like we want to shut this thing completely down if, if that was the game plan they would have done that like four years ago they would have moved way sharper, way quicker. I think what's been done is they've acknowledged that the technology does have censorship resistance, does have these distribution properties. And so because you can't fully shut it down, I think you pivot to, all right, we need to integrate this with this in such an intimate way where like it's essentially a false flag. It's, it's a facade. They, they, they want a quote unquote decentralized distributed world where like they're the ones that actually pull all the strings. Um, I think that's what I would do if I was in that decision-making room. But the good news for us is that actually buys time. I think it buys time for for us because it's not just going to be an immediate shutdown. It's going to be a slow encircling and entrapment. And I think if we're given two to four more years, the protocols that are like very focused and cognizant of that encirclement should be able to get the censorship-resistant properties and rails in place to be able to defend against that type of infiltration. Yeah, kind of like the the shape the the shape shifts and the the Thor chain. Yep. Like, yeah, like what exactly. uh, Eric Eric is a, a great spokesman for you know the calm, cool, and and being understanding what the understanding the players in the game. I guess is is the, what I would say. Eric Voorhees, you know. Anyways, I'll step down. I appreciate your guys's everything you guys do, man. I, I, it's a great conversation, and and I go back and forth. I mean, quite honestly, what you were talking about as far as convenience, you know, sometimes I sit on the fence, you know, and it's just, I, I, it's it is so easy to get lured in to that. We'll make it easy for you, blah 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 blah, and then you forget like you are giving up your your freedoms and like 
at at that point, it's I mean, it's come on, it's like all the stuff we do in Web two. You know, like they tell you to click the box and there's 20 pages, and no one the hell is reading all that fine print. You know, they don't know what they're giving up. You know, but Google's reading. Google can scan every one of your emails with their AI, and that's just that's just where we're at right now. You know, it's I don't know. Anyways, appreciate the conversation, guys. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I think to to summarize a lot of what's being said there, uh, one of the most profound truths I ever heard about any new technology is that it's always making a promise for us uh, that we don't see when we're signing up for it. And you can look back at the the adoption of any uh, technology. I mean, mobile phones are an easy example. We we didn't realize that with how awesome these smartphones were. Uh, our brains would be rewired, like our ability to focus and pay attention and relate to people would actually be changed. And that that was like all of the the beauty and promise of a smartphone. Like we accepted that, but we didn't understand what was being sacrificed and the cost from our future when we made that move. And that I think is the moment we are in when it comes to uh, what we accept for money in the future. Um, transparency on chain, like all of these pieces that we talked about today. It's like, yeah, we're being given the promise up front, but what is the compromise to, I don't want to be too, too dramatic, but <laughs> what's the compromise to our humanity, to our society? Like these are the big questions. No, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Sean. And to be honest, you know, I think as more people under start to understand the risks associated with these tools they're using in DeFi, um, I I hope and I actually truly think that this sort of we'll say rightfully placed or uh, understandably uh, understandably placed skepticism uh, about the the trade-offs for technology, I, I think that actually will translate outside of this ecosystem. Like a lot of people talk about like learning things or taking things from web two and bringing it into web three. Um, and the convenience of web two going from like, you know, analog to digital was such a huge step that people were willing to, to legitimately overlook all of the things you're giving up, um, such as like your general privacy when you're carrying around your phone, right? It's, it's effectively broadcasting where you're at and what you're doing at all times during the day. Um, but I think there's actually a lot of nuance, um, that can be taken from web three and, and justifiably be applied in users, like individual users lives outside of this space. It's like, Oh shit, this thing is providing this value or service that wasn't available before. Let me figure out like, you know, is it really just sweet or, or is there some, some stuff on the back end that I might be misunderstanding or I, I have to give up in order to get this uh, value proposition. So pers- this is, uh, you know, this is being applied in my life. And I, I would assume that, um, you know, other individuals are taking similar lessons learned from web three and, and applying that in other aspects of their life. So. And that was a wonderful statement, right? And what I would add to that is I think the, the, the bells of freedom ring loudest when oppression is most clearly felt. And the thing with web two is like 
the oppression of data can be used in very subtle ways, but the effects of the oppression of money is is a, is a way stronger force. I, I I think that I mean they're both they're both very very dangerous, but you know what you can do with data versus what you can do with my money are two very very different things, and so I think that the value of privacy and censorship resistant this last six years haven't been fully valued because the oppression hasn't really started yet. It really hasn't. It's, it's a slow encirclement. It's incredibly strategic. It's it, honestly like terrifyingly patient. So when they make their move, when it finally happens, the bells of freedom will be ringing very, very loudly. And the chains and shackles of monetary oppression will be very, very clear. And the shade protocols of the world wait patiently and will continue to build and build and build as fast as we can to prepare for that coming Rubicon. You just uh, gave me so much energy, Carter. I, I'm I'm fully juiced up for the rest of the day off of that. Uh, appreciate both. Uh, or I appreciate you, Carter, Sean and Mayor um, joining this discussion today. I think this has been incredibly fruitful. I, I think it's always helpful, you know, like we want to give updates on what we're doing, you know, technical updates, updates on products uh, and such whenever we do these Twitter spaces, just so people can hear um, sort of straight from the source. But I think it's also really important for us to have these broader uh, discussions sort of about some of the bigger issues that are going on in this space that that affect all users, uh, you know, really, regardless of the ecosystem, regardless of the chain you're on, regardless of the wallet you've used, regardless of the internet service provider you've got, uh, what's your favorite, um, you know, the whole the whole slew of options. Um, I think it's always helpful to kind of have some of these conversations in public so that people can kind of, I don't know, recognize that, no, you're not the only one worried about these things. No, you're not the only one thinking about the risks here. Um, and I think that can provide a lot of solace. And I think that can also provide a lot of hope uh, for individuals who might be concerned with that the state of affairs uh, outside of, you know, you know, within within the ecosystems that we play in. So really appreciate all of you guys joining in to, to speak today and everyone who is here to listen. Thank you. All. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation as well. Um, always love doing these. Always love being able to get the community together, get some contributors together to be able to talk about what and why we're doing uh, what we're doing. So before we wrap this up, Carter, Sean, do you guys have anything you want to add? Any last minute uh, words? I, I would just add you maybe want to change the title of this Twitter space just to kind of reflect what we talked about. So people maybe will be more likely to click on it. Um, and then the last thing I would say is I definitely agree that we should talk about the why more often. It's really easy to be caught up in the what, but ultimately the why is what drives all of this. So we should focus on that more. Yeah, especially because we take, you know, at Shade Protocol, we take such a long-term approach. The why is like a very important aspect for what is being built. Well, cool. Sean, you got anything you want to add before we wrap this up? No, I was going to say, I mean, I feel like anything, any words that come out right now, I'm just spoiling the perfection of the conversation we had. So <laughs> I'm, I'm good with where we've left it. Oh, dude, I, I spoil it at the very end every single time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, 
thank you to everyone who joined us as speakers again. Thank you to everyone who's listening now or listening to the recording. Always appreciate you guys showing up and showing support for what we're building here. Um, all of you guys, you know, are a big factor in what continues driving us to push forward, building uh, faster and faster, more secure um, so that we have products that last us into per perpetuity that provide the value propositions that we think are, um, you know, deserve it of, of every human on this earth. So with that, we'll close this out. Hope you guys all have a great rest of the day. And as always, there's always room in the shade. Have a great day, everyone. Motherfucker screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless, trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets, dead ends dragging out the max amount of payment. Red down days, got them acting all bankless Yo fam, what? Check these token knocks They probing this bear, flexing broken honest I had to lay my soul down, I'm just roasting honest And then to end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic Never known the politic, I was born to frolic It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom Over impossible loss, it's all moss And I'm liking the odds, fondue in the morning Forming mycological bonds Flick the cap, yo, the road is highly involved Flip a coin, diary falls Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner They stacked in non-toxic just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage Like the shit is play for keeps Clowns, white knight and all these Maybelines They call it implausible When model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle Eats tearing apart your community All these low hanging fruits Bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach Coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts And send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release When I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers Drumming the streets, yo. We got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats. And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each. Motherfucker, fucker, screaming out loud, looking for mercy. Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality, stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works. And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth. Say and wonder about the worth and play. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served.